0: Robots Radio presents... Hey everybody, welcome into the podcast. We are back with another special bonus episode. Bonus episode. This is a very unique bonus episode, Brad. We've never done anything like this before, but the Oscar nominations came out this week. And if you know anything about someone like me who's super dorky, you know that the Oscars are like 100% my jam. So we thought we'd do like some quick reactions to the Oscar nominations and talk about our favorite movies of the year. We We didn't really do a 2019 year in review. So we're going to use this uh this episode to knock out a whole bunch of stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for this, Bob, especially when I look at, you know, the best picture list, you know, nine movies were nominated and I've officially seen one of them. So this is just going to be a fun blast of an episode <laughs> for me especially. This is very on brand for you, right? Yeah, I I won't <laughs> lie. I don't go out to the theaters super often. I plan on seeing 1917 sometime here soon cuz that actually is quite interesting to it me. It was so good, Brad. But yeah, I I have not seen many th- movies in theaters in 2019. Although,
0: it's because you've kept me busy watching old films. You know, that's a great point. I actually a few years ago I hit my peak of like movies I watched that were released in that year and I had seen 80 movies that came out that year. Like let's say it was 2016. I saw 80 2016 movies. This year, I think I saw like 40 movies. So having a toddler, working a full-time job, running a podcast has cut my new movie productivity in half. But I'm still pretty proud of myself for seeing 40 new movies this year.
1: <laughs> Bob, I was going to say, I think that I could count on one hand the amount of movies I've seen
0: this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but seriously, like it, it gives me a lot of respect for movie critics. Like We had Josh Larson on the podcast. People give critics a lot of crap because they think they're like overly hard on stuff, but They have to see everything. And, like, I got to choose what 40 movies I saw this year. And I went out of my way to see ones that people thought were good. So when you sit through 200 movies of crap a year, like, of course, the good ones are going to seem that much better to you, you know? Yeah. I was going to say, Bob, how many
1: movies on average come out in a year? Do you have any idea? You know, obviously, U.S. films.
0: I'm sure there's hundreds, you know, internationally. Sure. Well, I mean, like, if you're taking out, like you know, direct to video stuff or direct to VOD every year, a really helpful list. The Academy actually comes out with a list every year that's like, these are the movies that are eligible to be nominated. And it has everything from like your crappy horror movies to your prestige dramas. And I'm pretty sure this this year it had between 300 and 400 movies on the list. Wow, that. I'm honestly fascinated. I had no idea that
1: that many movies came out every year.
0: Yeah. And I mean, with all the platforms we have now, you know, Netflix, Hulu, everybody's making their own movies now. And as long as they meet the criteria to be nominated, which is like, I think they have to play in a theater in New York and L.A. for like two weeks or something. So as long as Netflix books a theater to show their movie it's eligible. So we have more and more avenues for these movies to get pumped out. It's almost impossible to keep up with them.
1: Yeah, that stuff is really fascinating to me because the main headlines I've seen about the Oscars lately aren't even about the movies. It feels like everybody's talking about what constitutes a real film or not. You know, do the Marvel movies constitute a real film? You know, does the stuff that Netflix is putting out constitute real films? It it seems to be that, you know, this whole streaming epidemic if you will
0: is challenging what it means to truly be a film they really are and I think you're seeing or you have seen in the past like some resistance from the people in the academy to award Netflix last year their big movie was called Roma and it was I mean it was the favorite going into the Oscars and Green Book won and I think a lot of people saw that A, as pushback from a certain group of people that were in favor of Green Book, but B, it was pushback against Netflix and kind of a more traditionalist, like, middle finger. Like, hey, we like our movies to come out the way that they've always come out, and you're not just going to come in here and change the whole game. Bob, I'm not going to lie to you.
1: Ever since we reviewed Green Book, which I still think was a really good movie and I enjoyed a lot,
0: I still just kind of go back and go, huh. How did that win Best Picture? It, it shouldn't have won Best Picture, but it wasn't like, it, and I'm going to get, you know, crucified for this, but like, it wasn't like it was as bad as Bohemian Rhapsody. Like if Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody had walked away with that Oscar, I think I might just be done with the Oscars forever.
1: Yeah, for sure. I Yeah, it is just one of those movies where I'm like, yeah, that was a good above average film that won Best Picture? <laughs> Somehow. But anyways... Throwing all that aside, let's actually get into, you know, this year's Oscars. Bob, how about you say we talk a little bit about the nominations for Best Picture?
0: Yeah, let's just start right at the top. Let's go Best Picture. Now, the really interesting thing about the way that the Academy Awards nominees in all the categories get nominated is they use this thing called preferential balloting. So everybody submits a list of, like, their favorite, let's say, actresses for best actress. Everyone's allowed to submit five people, and you rank order them one through five. And what they do is they count up all the first place votes for each person, and then the person with the least amount of first place votes gets eliminated. So let's say like 20 people get get listed on these nominations lists. Number 20 gets crossed out and then they look at, okay, who was the second place person on all those ballots? And they shuffle them into the piles of the people that have been nominated until they finally get down to five nominees. And so with best picture – They've actually expanded it so that they can go over five nominees depending on how the preferential balloting works out. You can have anywhere between five and ten nominees for Best Picture. I don't know if we've ever actually gotten up to ten. I've seen nine a few times, and that's what we have this year. We've got a pretty full slate, nine movies that got quite a bit of votes, enough to get a nomination.
1: Yeah, and of those nine movies, I have heard of eight of them and seen one of them. So I'm like patting myself on the back. Which one haven't you heard of, Brad?
0: Uh, I've never heard of Parasite. So Parasite is a movie from Korea. It is the most nominated foreign movie of all time now. It had six nominations. Uh, It is the best reviewed movie of the year. It's sweeping other award ceremonies like uh, some of the critics awards it's been picking up. A ton of positive feedback, even from audiences. It's like I think it's like number 37 or 38 on the IMDB top 250 now. Really? Really good movie. Yeah, but uh it's making some Oscar history just by being here.
1: Now, you know, clue me in on some Oscar history here, Bob. Has a foreign film ever won Best Picture before?
0: No. Really? Nope. That's crazy to me. I I feel like I've seen some really good foreign films. Now, again, like if we're talking foreign language films, no, it hasn't happened. But like you know there's been British movies that have won best picture and obviously okay you know. well all right so Brad let's let's go through these best picture nominees so in order we've got Ford versus Ferrari The Irishman Jojo Rabbit Joker Little Women Marriage Story 1917 Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Parasite I don't think you put enough of a pause there's a dot 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 between time and in Once Upon a Time
1: in Hollywood. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. So of those movies, I have seen Jojo Rabbit. And I'm not going to lie. It's one of the best films I have seen in a long, long time.
0: I really like it. And it's it's a crowd pleaser. And so what people are kind of forecasting with this Oscars is that a lot of the categories are already locked up because people have been winning every single, you know, that award in every single award ceremony, Best Picture is still wide open. The reason that it's so hard to predict Best Picture is because of that preferential voting system. So we know they use preferential voting to get the nominees, but with every other category, once you get those five nominees, people just pick their number one choice from there on out to be the winner. With Best Picture, they actually do the preferential voting system to pick the winner as well. And so a lot of times, the The movie that has the most first place votes doesn't actually win best picture. So basically, it's it's not necessarily that your movie is the most loved. It's that it's the least disliked. It could be that the movie that wins best picture was actually like number two or number three on everybody's ballot. And because people agreed to put it at number three it somehow got enough points accumulated that it wins best picture. So that's why it's super hard to predict. And a movie like Jojo Rabbit, because it has such a wide appeal across like demographics, old people, young people, it's a real dark horse in this race. Bob,
1: every time you start talking about how the voting is done in the Oscars, I feel like you're just speaking gibberish that makes no sense to the common American.
0: No, it actually is super complicated. And I had to read like many articles today to understand how preferential voting works. I understand that all of your eyes are glazing over already, so I'm not going to explain it anymore. All, all that to say, best picture is wide open. And nine times out of 10, you're looking for the movie that has like the broadest appeal to win best picture. Not necessarily the one that like the critics love the most, but the one that's like the biggest crowd pleaser. That's how Green Book won last year.
1: Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I think that that bodes well for Jojo Rabbit. I mean, this movie was spectacular. It, it hits the broad strokes of a comedy, but it, it narrows in and, and just pierces your soul as a drama that by the end of that film, you're sobbing and you're laughing and
0: you just don't know what's going on. And it's, spectacular i i loved that film so we're going to come back to talking about the movies in best picture in a little bit but we're going to hold the suspense on what i think is going to win best picture let's move into some of these other categories brad which one do you want to talk about next uh let's let's go on to actress in a leading role Actress in the leading role. All right. So the five nominees, we've got uh, Renee Zellweger for the movie Judy, where she plays Judy Garland, uh, Charlize Theron in Bombshell, Saoirse Ronan in Little Women, Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story, and Cynthia Erivo in Harriet. Cynthia Erivo is the only African-American nominated in any uh, acting category this year, which is a big deal because there's not a ton of diversity in the acting categories. However, Everyone is predicting that Renee Zellweger is going to walk away with this award. She's won every single Best Actress award at the big ceremonies. Uh, She won the Golden Globe. The thing is, her movie, Judy, is not that good, and no one really thinks it's that good. And I think at, at one point, everyone just decided she's going to win the Oscar, and so we're just giving her all the awards. I think that there's enough time between now and the time the Oscars actually start that we might see an upset in this category because I think people are starting to realize we don't just have to give Renee Zellweger an Oscar. And I think the dark horses in this category, you might see Scarlett Johansson come out of nowhere for Marriage Story, which is a movie that got a ton of buzz and has kind of fallen off a cliff lately. And I think Scarlett Johansson and Sersha Ronan for Little Women, it's one of the more nominated films. It's actually tied for the third most nominations with six. So I would not necessarily put Renee Zellweger like carve it in stone. I think Scarlett Johansson especially has a huge chance to pull the upset here.
1: Well, that would make me one happy camper. I love Scarlett Johansson in all of her roles. I think she has a lot of depth, even in the Marvel films, that she's a really great actress. It'd be really awesome for her to win this award. So one thing that I'm really interested in, though, is the fact that Scarlett Johansson is nominated for both a Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress. And I'm kind of curious, have you ever seen somebody win both, you know, Best
0: Actor, Actress and Best Supporting? No. And in fact, it usually has like the opposite effect. It usually cancels each other out, even though there are two completely different movies, two completely different categories. I think people get sick of seeing like that much exposure to a person. And so they don't vote for them. I think this has only happened like five or six times in the past where somebody's been nominated in two separate categories in the same year. Scarlett Johansson is not the favorite in either of those categories, and we're probably not going to see her win. But I I really do think she's got a better shot in uh, leading actors than she does in supporting. Yeah, I like I said earlier, I love ScarJo, and I think she deserves an Oscar. I think she does, too. And she's certainly paid her dues. And that's, like, that's kind of the thing about the Oscars is... It's it's an in group of people. There's only about 7000 people in the academy overall. And when you're getting voted on for best actress, it's an even smaller number because only actresses can vote for best actress. And so it's like a group of people that are rewarding each other. So what you see at the Oscars a lot is that they will reward people based on like their whole body of work. That's why you'll see an old person get up and win a supporting actor Oscar for a movie that wasn't that good. But it's because he's been acting for 65 years and we've never given him one before. And what that does is it like it creates this system where Scarlett Johansson may not win for Marriage Story, which I think she deserves to win for. But we'll see her get an Oscar 20 years from now for something that's like mediocre.
1: Yeah, all I know is that when you said that there's seven thousand people in the academy, my life goal just became to get you, Robert Book Jr., into the academy.
0: Oh, let's do it. Let's start a let's start a social media campaign. I, dude, I'm all about it. Hashtag Bob for Oscar. That's right. I want you in there voting, man. Well, I appreciate that. Well, we got to pay somebody off though. Okay, I
1: will work on making millions of dollars. But the thing for me about uh, Renee Zellweger is I'd like it if she played a character based on somebody I actually knew
0: who it was. Bob, can you tell me who Judy Garland is? (laughs) Who who is this Judy Garland person? Yeah, I've never heard of her. Can you explain more? So I actually watched that movie about a week ago. And I will say, for for not really looking like Judy Garland and for not having as powerful of a voice as Judy Garland, I was really blown away with Renee Zellweger's performance. Towards the end of her life, if you've ever watched videos of Judy Garland, like when she got older— She kind of had to strain her voice to get that like vibrato out. And and Renee Zellweger had all the mannerisms down. I would not be upset if she did win this award. Uh, However, Marriage Story is tied for number one on my movies of the year. I loved Marriage Story. I will pull hard for Scarlett Johansson to win this award because she's so good in that movie. All right. So that's Best Actress. Let's move on to Best Actor. Actor in a leading role. Joaquin Phoenix in Joker has won just about every major award. And right now on the website gold Derby, which is kind of like a a sports betting odds website that forecasts for the Oscars, they've got him at like a 100 percent chance to win. Basically, Uh, it seems like he's locked this category up. However, there's always time for Twitter to get mad about Joker some more. This is a super political movie (laughs) that people don't like, that people want to cancel out of the culture. And I'm not going to get into all the reasons behind it. There is the possibility that somebody comes up from behind and takes this award from Joaquin Phoenix. And again, I'm going to go Marriage Story. I think if anyone has a chance to do it, this would be Adam Driver's year. I don't think DiCaprio has enough uh, steam behind him. Antonio Banderas snuck into this category. No one expected a nomination for him. And Jonathan Price in The Two Popes is incredible. But nobody is watching that movie or talking about it. So for me right now, it's a two-man race. Joaquin Phoenix is way out ahead, but I wouldn't be shocked to see Adam Driver pull the upset.
1: So as somebody who studied Christian history, I was kind of curious, is the two popes
0: about when the papacy was split between Rome and Avignon? No, actually, it's about when Joseph Ratzinger stepped down and Pope Francis took over. And they were both basically, you know, living in the same vicinity as each other and their sort of tension between each other. And uh, oh. Jonathan Price plays Pope Francis, and he looks exactly like him in the face. It's kind of eerie, but he does almost all of his dialogue in Spanish. He's incredible. And then in, in the supporting role, Anthony Hopkins uh, plays Pope Benedict, and he's he's just as good. It's a great movie. It's on Netflix. You should check it out. Dude, Anthony Hopkins can do no wrong. He really can That can't. dude
1: is such an amazing <laughs> actor.
0: Brad, did you see
1: Joker? I did not see Joker, actually. Honestly, I just wasn't interested in it. I know that there was all the controversy and and blah, 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 blah. It wasn't something that interested me. I might watch it at some point.
0: Yeah, actually, it is the most glaring omission from my list of movies I've seen this year. I still have to watch Joker. It finally just came out on video, so I can go to Redbox and get it, I guess, or watch it on demand. I missed it in theaters. I just haven't gotten around to seeing it. I I imagine Joaquin Phoenix's performance is going to be incredible because he's a great actor uh, and he's walking away with all these awards. But it's just one I haven't gotten to yet.
1: Would you say that he's walking away with
0: all the awards? (laughs) I hate you so much. (laughs) Yeah, so moving on, I think another category we have to spend some time on is Best Director. Yeah. So in Best Director, we have five nominees. We have Martin Scorsese for The Irishman, Todd Phillips for Joker, Sam Mendes for 1917, Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. Now, Bong Joon-ho being in this category is a big deal. Again, this is a foreign film. It did happen last year, again, with Alfonso Cuarón, who won for Roma. It's not unprecedented, obviously, but people are really up in arms about the fact that Greta Gerwig who directed little women is not in this list. And there were probably six to seven serious contenders for this category. Greta Gerwig is left out. It is uh, a, a pretty glaring omission in a lot of people's eyes because Todd Phillips snuck in for Joker. And so you've got the light, the double lightning rod of the guy who directed Joker getting into the category and a woman being left out. And we have an all male category again. I think Greta Gerwig did a fantastic job with Little Women. That movie is great. I think she absolutely deserved to be nominated for this award. But I think it also says a lot about the people who are doing the nominating. In each of these categories that isn't Best Picture, only the group of people in the Academy that represent that category can vote. So only directors are allowed to vote for nominees for Best Director. And we know that film directors are like overwhelmingly 99% male, but I think Even more than that, the reason you see Todd Phillips in this category is that he had to endure a social media firestorm for this movie Joker. And I think his peers really respect the way that he handled it and he came out the other side. And so I think a lot of the reason that he's nominated in this category is they're kind of giving him that nod of respect. You know Whether or not if, – if they were splitting hairs between him and Greta Gerwig, I think the reason they put him in this category is because they're sympathizing with him in some way for the backlash that he had to endure.
1: Uh, I guess my question would be, what's the difference between best picture and best director? Because I, I understand that best picture in one sense would be saying, hey – between, you know, if you wrapped up all the other categories in one, you know, at least the categories that have to do with, you know, things done for a single film, whoever did the best at all of them, that's our best picture. But like, what then is the difference between best director and best picture? Because when you really think about it, like the director
0: is so clearly a part of the best picture, like, why is there a different award? I think that's a really good question, Brad. A lot of times what you see is that with the Academy, they'll reward like artistic guts and bravery in best director. So last year, Alfonso Cuaron wins uh, for Roma a few years back, you know, Ang Lee wins for life of Pi. Neither one of those movies ends up winning best picture because best picture is almost always a safer choice. And so of late with this preferential system, they have what you find is that like the safer picture wins best picture and the more sort of like artsy daring one wins best director. It's not always that way. And in fact, usually the way we figure out what movies are serious contenders for Best Picture is if they have a Best Director nomination behind them. So like this year, we have nine Best Picture nominees, obviously only five Best Directors. Usually those are the five movies we take the most seriously at that point because they've got the Best Picture and the Best Director to back it up. But when there is a split of like how they award it, it's usually because they're giving the director of the more like gutsy movie his or her do, and then they're giving Best Picture to, like, a safer candidate.
1: Yeah, see, that's fascinating. I never would have thought of that, but you're right. It does make a lot of sense that it's kind of a category where they would award people for taking a lot more chances, and, you know, instead of just playing it safe and making the best movie possible. I I don't know. Well It feels like there's a weird balance between those two avenues of, like, I'm going to do really artistic, weird, interesting things, but I'm also going to make a great movie. You know, finding a mixture of great story, great sound editing, great acting, great directing, it just, I don't know, I'm still weirded out by that distinction between the two films, or between the two categories. All right, switching topics. All right. I am curious, do you think that among the big, you know, studios that there's, like, bragging rights over well i've won this many best pictures and this many best directors
0: do you think that that's a big thing in hollywood not as much as it used to be however at the end of the day everything with movie studios is about money right we all, we all know this like hollywood is a business oh, yeah and you get an oscar bump when your movie wins best picture Like, it's just a fact. Even sometimes if your movie gets nominated for Best Picture, you get a huge bump in the box office. That's why a lot of times studios will hold back even, like, these really small independent movies that no one's heard of because they'll release it in, like, December to, like, two markets. They'll expand in January because they have a good idea that it's going to get nominated for some Oscars. And so when John and and Jane Doe in, you know, Cedar Rapids, Iowa – Turn on their TV and they see that a certain movie got an Oscar nomination and then they see, oh, and it's opening in my town this weekend. It gets a huge Oscar bump. So you see studios pouring tons and tons of money into Oscar campaigns, taking out ads online and in print saying, you know, for your consideration, Scarlett Johansson in Jojo Rabbit. Best Supporting Actress, because they know that Scarlett Johansson gets nominated. She's a huge celebrity. And that's going to bump the bottom line of your movie up. So I don't know if they're necessarily comparing. I won this this award and you won that award. What they're really comparing is we got nominated for eight Oscars. You got nominated for one. And what that's going to do to our bottom line is we're going to get that much more money than you are.
1: Huh? That. Yeah. I mean, that
0: makes a lot of sense to me. Why care about bragging rights when you can make more money than the other schlub? Which is kind of like my big problem with the Oscar telecast. It's a three and a half hour event where rich people give each other awards. Do you watch at all, Brad? Uh, In my life,
1: I've probably tuned in once or twice to watch like Best Actor, Best
0: Actress, and Best Picture. Like live tuned in, but outside of that, no. no. Well, so the problem that they've been having is like the last five, ten years viewership of the telecast is dropping off dramatically to the point where like last year they didn't even have a host because they were they had initially contacted Kevin Hart. There was a big controversy about something he tweeted 10 years ago. So they dropped him as a host and they're trying to like salvage the Oscar telecast because who knows how much longer it'll go on. No one's tuning in. I think part of the problem is that no one has seen the movies that are being nominated. And the reason that's happening is because it's like this vicious cycle. Studios aren't releasing these movies to the general public until the middle of January. So when the Oscar nominations come out, no one knows what half these movies are. Just like you said, you'd never even heard of Parasite, even though it came out a couple months ago. It's a pretty small movie. And so no one's watching these movies. The problem is the Oscars are scrambling to like save their telecast but the studios don't care whether or not the Oscars continue to have a telecast because they're making money hand over fist. Like they're never going to change the strategy that they release these movies. And so the problem for a guy who loves movies like me is I want to be able to have a conversation about the Oscars with more people. Like I want to be able to call you up and be like, Oh man, did you see that such and such got nominated for best picture? The problem is like 90% of the general population have never even heard of half these movies. And Nothing's going to change that because the studios have figured out a way to like maximize their profit off of it. So it's just it's going to keep getting more and more disconnected from the general population. And the interesting thing about that is that it feels like Netflix could step into that void
1: and start streaming their movies whenever the heck they want, but release them in the theaters, you know, maybe later into December And then, honestly, everybody has Netflix, and more people are going to stream a movie at home than go out and pay 15 bucks to see a
0: movie. So it seems like that might be an opportunity to grow the audience. Well, and that's what you're getting with Netflix. They had four major movies that they were, like, positioning for awards consideration this year. And the the rules of the Academy are, like— You can't start streaming it until it's been playing in theaters for like two weeks or something. Like you have to give it a theatrical run first before you distribute it. It's this dumb rule that they're probably going to change at some point because it's archaic and outdated. But Netflix, you're right, has figured out a way that no one's going to the movie theater anymore. It's too expensive. So we're going to start having these movies on our platform. And you know what? I sat down and watched all three and a half hours of The Irishman. On my laptop because it was super convenient. I watched The Two Popes at my house because I probably wouldn't have paid $10 to go see The Two Popes. I watched Dolomite is My Name, which is a movie that I don't know if I would have paid to go see, and it ended up being one of my favorite movies of the year. And then Marriage Story. Like Netflix is killing it with the selection of movies that they are choosing to produce. The problem is they're also dumping tons and tons of money into these Oscar campaigns to get them nominated. And because they're not focusing on having a theatrical release, they're not making as much money back. Like if you pay your ten dollars for Netflix, you're subscribed for the whole month. You can watch as many movies as you want. So Netflix is paying just as much money out to get an Oscar nomination. But they're not getting the return that some of these studios are when people go out and spend twenty dollars on two movie tickets.
1: Yeah. Everything I've read about Netflix over the past two to three years is basically saying that it can't be sustainable. They are spending so much money on the production of movies and TV shows and Oscar campaigns that $10 to $15 a month subscriptions eventually are not going to cover it.
0: Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's unsustainable. But you know what? We're not here to talk about whether or not Netflix is making bad business decisions. We are here to talk about The best movies of 2019. So, Brad, while you're busy doing that, I want to real quickly walk through my best movies of the year. I want to count down 10 to 1 best movies of 2019 from the ones that I've seen. Number 10 is a movie called Dark Waters. It had Mark Ruffalo in it. It's a true story uh, about a lawyer who basically found out that DuPont has been poisoning everybody in America and goes to court for it. Super compelling movie. Really powerful, super disturbing. Mark Ruffalo's great. Mark Ruffalo's great in everything. I think everybody should check out Dark Waters. I've actually heard of that. Yeah, it was good. Check it out when it comes on video. Number nine, Greta Gerwig's Little Women. This is a movie that is, uh, she should have been nominated for Best Director. What she chose to do, she wrote it, and uh, she, obviously she adapted it, and she directed it. It was a knockout. My wife and I went to see it and we're just in love with it. Little Women's number nine. Number eight, I've got Brad's favorite movie, Jojo Rabbit. This was actually one of my favorite movie going experiences of the year. I got to see an advanced screening of this movie and it was actually being held during the Cleveland Jewish Film Festival, which was a super uncomfortable thing before the movie started because I I didn't know if everybody in the theater was aware of what the subject matter of this movie was and that Adolf Hitler was like a main character in the movie. But that audience just ate this movie up. It was it was just a joyous experience. Like Brad said, I loved Jojo Rabbit. I know a lot of people are cooler on it than I am, but it's my number eight movie of the year. Number seven, I'm going with Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. This is a good movie. It's a really good movie. It's three and a half hours long, and it could have been at least a half hour shorter. I think people are finally starting to come around to the idea that we don't have to call everything Scorsese makes a masterpiece right out the gate and people are kind of reconsidering The Irishman now. It is a huge achievement. Netflix did something that's never been done on their platform before, but I don't think The Irishman is the game changer some people made it out to be. Brad, do you have any desire to watch The Irishman? Yes and no. I've seen
1: enough Scorsese that I think he makes compelling cinema, but three and a half hours is a long time. Luckily, it is on Netflix and i can watch you know an hour and a half 2 hours come back finish it the next day so that does lead me to
0: want to watch it more number 6 i've got parasite this movie was bananas and it was just you you knew that you were in the hands of a master from shot 1 really suspenseful really funny in moments kind of like cruelly funny um i was on the edge of my seat for most of this movie and i just there's not enough i can say about parasite it's my number 6 movie number 5 the most purely enjoyable movie I saw this year, Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. This movie was twisty and turny and really, really funny. And it had a, a, an underlying message that I think a lot of people may have missed because it was just so entertaining. It does have like political undertones to it, but man, just such a great movie. It is killing it at the box office. I actually saw that it's on track to make more money. Overseas than uh, the new Star Wars movie is, which is really funny to me because it's Ryan Johnson, right? But I'm really, really happy uh, that Ryan Johnson has kind of found his footing again after The Last Jedi. And Knives Out is my number five movie.
1: Ryan Johnson, you can go kick rocks.
0: Number four, uh, I've got the Eddie Murphy movie, Dolomite is My Name. This movie was hilarious. It is not getting enough awards attention. Eddie Murphy got shut out of the category for best actor and he shouldn't have. I think everybody should check out Dolomite is my name. Number three, I've got the documentary Apollo 11. This was a movie that was put together just this past year out of found footage from the Apollo 11 mission. Apparently, NASA had rigged the entire Apollo 11 structure with 70 millimeter cameras. It is like it was the most jaw-droppingly beautiful movie I saw this year, and it was made out of real footage from our trip to the moon. It was just, it's, it's crazy how we have this document. Everybody should see Apollo 11, and it's not even nominated for Best Documentary after cleaning up at like every other awards show. Uh, if you get a chance to see Apollo 11, watch it on the biggest possible screen that you can. And then I've got a tie for my number one film of the year, Brad. I've already talked about Marriage Story, a movie that made me cry multiple times, just a super beautiful movie. But my other number one for the year is the movie 1917. I was lucky enough to get advanced passes to see this movie. It blew me away. Everything you've heard about the cinematography is true. You're on the edge of your seat the whole film. It is just a white knuckle experience. Sam Mendes is in total control of everything that's on that screen. And I cannot say enough good things about 1917 and Marriage Story. So that's it. Boo. That's it. That's my top ten. Boo, Bob. This is America. Choose a winner. There's no ties. <laughs> no, I'm not choosing a
1: winner. It's a tie this year. They both blew me away. Daggone it, Robert. Well, I'm gonna break the tie and say that Marriage Story was a better movie. All right, cool. And I have I haven't <laughs> seen either of them, but I declare that Film and Whiskey's favorite movie of 2019 is Marriage Story. So there you
0: go. All right. So here's what we're gonna do. We are still four weeks away from the Oscar ceremony. It was a really abbreviated award season this year. Everything got pushed back super early. Usually the Oscars are at the end of February, uh, but we get to see them early this year. However, I am not dumb enough to make picks on what's going to win four weeks before the ceremony happens. We've still got three and a half weeks of voting left. A lot can happen. So before the Oscars ceremony happens, Brad and I are both going to fill out our ballots on what we think is going to win in each category. We'll post our ballots on Twitter. You can follow along and see which one of us scores higher. We are doing a Bob and Brad fight to the death on the Oscars 2020.
1: Yeah, Bob, I can't wait to rub your face in the fact that you know nothing about movies, just the same as I don't.
0: Hey, man, I'm telling you, though, in all seriousness, you have just as good of a chance, if not more than me, to, to do well on this because I always overthink it. And I always am like, well, maybe they'll go in this direction. And they never do. I always do poorly on my Oscar picks. So (laughs) I'm actually going to go team Brad. I think you're probably going to end up winning and rub it in my face. (laughs) I
1: mean, that sounds great to me. And I will say, I'm going to give a shout out right now, Bob. We just posted on Instagram doing a promo for this very episode. And Ryan Solaji, your comment legitimately made me laugh out loud. So shout out to Ryan Solaji, friend of show.
0: Oh, I just saw his comment. Yeah, Ryan, <laughs> th- thank you for fighting back against the trolls and the bots. I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, Bob, I think that about
1: wraps it up. I am super excited for this Oscar season. I might actually sit down and
0: tune in live to some of these Oscars just to see if I beat you. I'm going to wear a tuxedo so that I'm ready to go to celebrate my victory over you, Brad. All right, so the Oscars are live Sunday, February 9th at 8 p.m. You can watch them on ABC and uh, just prepare yourself for me to go like 24 and 0 in these categories. I wonder if you could win money like the way you can win like ESPN if you fill out a perfect bracket. Uh, I thought the deal was that if I go 24 and 0, you just give me $500,000. Uh, yep. All right, cool. Deal. We'll do it. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this year's Oscars special for the Film and Whiskey Podcast. I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. We'll see you next time.